Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello and welcome to This Spiritual Fix, episode 19, season 2. Today we are going to be talking about all things dreams. Enjoy. This Spiritual Fix, Two Mystical Mamas Hacking the Self-Help Game with Anna Stromquist and Christina Wiltsey. Hello, Anna. Hello, Christina Wiltsey. I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) I'm so glad to be here in person. So nice. So tell me about, you went to the Banksy exhibit in Atlanta this morning. I did go to the Banksy exhibit with my kids. And Um, for anyone who doesn't know, Banksy is a graffiti artist who has like an enigmatic, mysterious identity. Yep. And he'll like make a graffiti art in the middle of London or New York City or something. And then no one wants to tear it down because it's worth like hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever. And there was a great, there was a great practical joke he played at an art collector exhibit. Did you know about this? I don't know if I know about this one. So it was a big auction, and he must have been there hiding. No one knows his true identity. Banksy was in the like the art auction hiding with a remote controller. Someone who works for him was, and they auctioned for like millions of dollars some sort of Banksy art. And as soon as they like hit the gavel and it was sold, there was a secret. Paper shredder. There was oh a, a secret paper shredder inside of the frame. So when they hit sold, someone clicked the remote control and the art just went right through the paper shredder and shredded. So it was the art was destroyed because he's an anarchist and he, he doesn't is. want his people to make money off of his art. He he makes graffiti art exactly so everyone can enjoy it, like the world can enjoy it. And I just thought that was so cool. Anyways, yes. so no. just anyone who doesn't know who Banksy is, there's a great documentary about him on one of these Netflix kind of things, and I'll link it in the show notes. It was one of those things that as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh my God, I have to, because I know that my, that Luke would appreciate it. and Your anarchist husband. My anarchist hub- husband would really appreciate it. And then it also that my kids would like it because it's so interactive, right? It's so like. It's made for the everyone. It is. It is. And, and it was, but it was fascinating. So it really gave me a really good lesson because to be perfectly honest, I what felt like I was lessons? part of it. Ex- uh, ex- interesting. interesting evolutionary experiences. Yeah. <laughs> Suzanne Raja taught you that one. Yeah, she did. I felt like I was an installation in the actual exhibit. <laughs> well, j- let's just say that, right? Because 
I brought my four and my six year old and I, you know, it was very interesting because they had like a lot of really interesting exhibits. Like they had this beautiful mirror room and you could see like all of his art. But if you looked down, it like went on forever. If you looked up, it went on forever. And like the way that the, the way that it was, you had to put these little like booties on to make sure that the mirrors underneath you stayed clean and things like that. And so it was really interesting for the kids because it wasn't just like, I'm going to go look at art and not understand it. But there was this one room and this room had, it was a famous painting, oil painting of English parliament, but there were chimpanzees instead of people. And it had a projector in it and the projector would like outline, it was basically like a theater involved, like an interactive involving of the actual painting itself. And it had music and it had everything. It was a dark room and it would outline all the different chimps and it would have all these sound clips of British Parliament and how ridiculous they sounded, right? So it was like supposed to emphasize his, you know, Banksy's distaste a, a distaste for, you know, whatever it was going on. And my daughter just wouldn't leave this room. Like she was just completely fascinated with it. At first she stayed in there because she couldn't figure out how it happened because it looked like the painting itself was lighting up because you couldn't see the project. Like the projector was there, but she didn't understand that, you know, that was what was happening, that the projector was, was broadcasting onto the actual painting itself or like the screen itself. And then she stayed in there for 30 to 45 minutes. And this is like throughout the whole time, but you know, after we spent 10 minutes in there watching it over and over again, I was like, okay, well, well, we got to keep going to the next thing because that's what you do when you're in a museum. Right. Right. Banksy would not approve, like, you know, like in terms of, of being an anarchist and like doing what everyone says you're supposed to do. And, and so eventually I had to get to that point where, you know, I had to pick her, I picked her up and I was like, okay, I'm just going to drag her to the next thing. Right. And I end up, I'm like trying to, this is, this is the hilarious thing. I was trying to get her to another part of the exhibit, but there wasn't anything that was just as interactive, interactive as that room. And there was, but at the back, at the very back of it, there was like a Disneyland, right? Which is all about like, it's like a play on Disneyland, obviously, because it's all about like consume, anti-consumerism and like how, you know, anything that has to do with Disneyland is all about like, I am an imbecile. It says that everywhere, like kind of expressing this disdain for doing this. I was like, there's a Disneyland, something like I literally was trying to use consumerism to convince my daughter not to be in this room anymore so that we could go around this thing in a normal time. And she was doing the whole, like I was picking her up and she was just like really upset and like making all the noises, like not having a full on tantrum because she's six, but like, and it was so amazing. It was like the universe just like put this, this light shining. Like I said, I was part of this installation. So she's sitting here, I'm bringing her back to the back and I'm like, I'm like, Hey, if you, if you just go around this, if you just go around this exhibit, the way that you're supposed to supposed to, that's true. Exactly. There's shoulds and shouldn'ts in the Banksy world. (laughs) Right. If, If you just go around this exhibit and you just, let's just go see the next thing. And then, and then we can get some food afterwards and then we can get some whatever. Like I am literally feeding her the opiates of junk food as an enticement to conform in a fucking Banksy exhibit. Like, can you think of anything more ironic? And then I go around the corner in this Disneyland thing. There's a piece of graffiti art on there and it says, a lot of mothers will do anything for their children except let them be themselves. And that's what it said on the wall right next to the Disneyland once I finally got back there. And I was just like, I fucking give up. Like, this is like, this is so ridiculous. And I let her go and she ran back into the room 
and stayed there for another 20, 30 minutes, you know. I'm looking at the picture. A lot of mothers will do anything for their children except let them be themselves. And so I am. Damn. (laughs) And then there's like a little rat. He's got a little rat. Yeah, there. there's little rats all over the exhibit because they're like, they're really cute. It's like a, it really is kind of like Cinderella on anarchist or on, on, on anarchism. But I, I, that's why I was like an installation. I was literally playing out how to placate my children, how to make it so that they conform, how to make it so that they behave and make it so that like all of that. And I just, it was just, it was a real, real eye opener for me. And it plays really well into you, the work that you're doing right now in conscious parenting, which is a preview of what some of the stuff we're going to be talking about next season in season three. Yeah, it ties in really well on the work I've been doing all week. I've been taking a master class called Conscious Parenting Mastery by Dr. Shafali. And this is in the Mind Valley. So there's an yeah. app called Mind Valley with lots of like eye-opening courses. And the one I started reading, or so I started taking this one called Conscious parenting mastery by dr shafali and at first i was like what can she she's a psychologist also a meditator i'm like what could she teach me about parenting that i don't already know because i'm such a good mom (laughs) and it's fascinating it is fascinating and one of the things she says is that we will do an entire episode on conscious parenting later when i finish the course but what she's saying in the intro is that Every one of us who is a parent is a parent for selfish reasons. And it's really hard to wrap your mind around that at first because you're like, no, I'm not a selfish parent. Like I had my kid because I wanted someone to love. Well, why? Why did you want someone to love? You wanted someone to love you back unconditionally. You know, if you're being honest from an egoic incentive, which is on some level, you are trying to fill a hole. Yep. You are trying to fill, you're trying to create someone that could have been the version of you that you wanted. You're trying to give a few the world a future that you didn't have you you know that's so typical with like you know I'm gonna raise my kids to be an amazing Olympic Olympic athlete because I never had one or I'm gonna give them all the riches because I didn't have a lot growing up I mean there's that but then there's the emotional one like I want someone to have a better childhood than I did and I want to be the mother that I always wanted but I didn't get you know all of these motivations are coming from a sense of lack and so I really resonate when you said Mothers are willing to do almost anything for their kids except let them be themselves because what she says is that more than anything to be a conscious parent is to recognize that your child came into this world with their own agenda and their own life lessons and their own personality and their own needs and we project onto them from our own egoic motivations and our own, she calls it the parental ego of like what they should be and how they should be. And so we have this whole idea of how they should be and who they should be instead of just recognizing who they really are and who they came here to be. And that's so fitting with the Banksy quote, you know, that mothers will do almost anything for their kids except for let them be who they were meant to be because they're constantly putting their own projections and sense of lack onto them. Any parent, I don't just mean mothers. But it's really good. And then one thing she said that I really, really, really resonated with is that when you're a child and you are looking up at your parents, you put your parents on a pedestal, or you just see your parents as so much greater than you. But really, they're just souls. They're your equal. You're just soul partners in this world, in this lifetime together, and you're like having a soul agenda and a life agenda, and they're just your soul partners. Your parents are no more wiser or better than you than any other soul on this earth. And it's the same with your children. You're no better than your children. You know, you think that you have children and you're somehow, you know, 
greater and smarter and better than them or you're here to show, teach them. No, they're your soul partner. They came into this world just as wise as you. Like, yeah, it took them some time getting used to being in a physical body again because they were weightless for nine months and now they suddenly have to support their head and neck and learn how to crawl and walk and all that. They're getting used to their astronaut suit, as Ram Dass would call it. But like your kids are no no less wise than your neighbor or your friend or whatever. So Yeah, and if anything, it's, you know, as they, as they grow, it suits them to see you as infallible. But as they grow, you slowly allow the veil to come down. Or maybe you don't slowly. Maybe, you know, whatever. There's a very, I know that there's a lot of, I'm really curious as to what the Course says about this because I'm, you know, because I always like this view that my dad said. He said, when someone's young, the room has to, the room that they're in has to be very small. And then as they grow, you have to keep growing the room around them, right? And then eventually you've, you've created such a big room around them that it's, it's like there's no room at all and they can go anywhere they want and they can feel totally like, but they're, they're sheltered. I don't know. Like I, you know, that is what I grew up with. So I'm really, I don't agree with it, but yeah, well, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm really interested to hear as we talk about more in season three about relationships, like where this goes in terms of that, because I don't know if I have been agreeing with that because I'm like, Oh, actually, no, like, like the sheltering part of this is like, actually, I really feel like if I'm talking to my daughter about the way that the world is now, and if I'm talking to her about this, or if I'm talking to my son about this, like my son, I ask him, what's your favorite color? Every color. Who's your favorite, you know, what's your favorite place to, to get, who's your, do you have a favorite, I didn't even say if you have a favorite person. I just kept asking him. I was like, who's your favorite this? What's your favorite this? He was like, everything everyone you know he's four years old like he's already got the whole view of everything right now so why am I going to decon why am I going to condition him to have a favorite right yeah even the question you know Sethi and Raja says never teach your child their body parts and I was like what what are you talking about he's like don't ever teach them like the names of their body parts don't ever make them see themselves as dissected up like let them just feel whole (laughs) Okay, so we're going to get into dreams today, which is great because I feel like you and I, you more than me, I think, in a lot of ways, we do a lot of our spiritual work in our sleep. We do. We do. And we did a, a interview recently with Laura Day and one of the, and she's an intuitive and she teaches people how to be intuitive. And she talks about how you can even set yourself to do work at night. And I often do that as well. Like you're like, I'm going to do, I have eight hours of being unconscious right now. So I'm going to set an intention in my conscious self to do a certain thing. Mm-hmm. And in the Silva mind control method really talks about doing that as well. But they say, don't do it every night because you do need to sleep. But like three nights a week, you can do some, some sleep work. Yeah. So Dreams are one of the best sources of access to the unseen world that we've talked about in the past, the going home, right? Like that place that exists, all the etheric planes, all the unseen worlds. It's amazing place to get access to things that you, that sit in your subconscious doing shadow works, things like that. But it's also such a powerful tool because it is such a gateway tool for me Every, there are so many people who don't necessarily say they're intuitive. They don't kind of know, they, do, they don't believe that. Almost everybody has dreamed at some point in their life. 
right? Mm-hmm. And if you if you just want to say, if you want to, you know, make it small and say, well, this is just my brain processing stuff and it comes up as visions and things like that, then that's fine. You can you can stay in that that camp and that's totally cool. But for the rest of us, think about the fact that if every single person in the world has had a vision, then literally every single person has, you know, come into this place of being intuitive or tapping into one of these unseen worlds or tapping into their own subconscious in a different way. Dreams are an incredibly powerful tool and almost everyone has access to them. Even if you don't currently have access to remember your dreams, it doesn't mean you're not dreaming. Can I just throw in one little thing here? If you have trouble remembering your dreams, there is a great herb called Kalea Zacatechichi, also known as the Mexican dream herb. And from all the research I could find, so don't quote me on this, it's only illegal in Poland, but it's legal in all other countries in the world. And I believe it's legal in the US, but you cannot find it anywhere because it's not FDA approved, but you can find it on Etsy. And I have tried it once. It's called Kalea Zacatechichi. And it is an herb that is renowned for helping you to remember your dreams. So if you are someone who's like super stuck and you can't remember, yep. you drink this tea before bed. For me, it was like just dream overload. It was like, I couldn't, it was just too many dreams. It was like 5,000 dreams in one night, you know? But like, if you are stuck, not remembering your dreams. Obviously we, we encourage you to, we encourage you to do your research beforehand. Other yeah. things that you can do. Side note, do your research before you <laughs> take anything not FDA approved. Right. But the other thing that you can do, mugwort, mugwort, some people put mugwort underneath their pillow. Some people use it as a smudge before they, they burn mugwort before they go to sleep. And it's really known for that. Hops. That's why beer has a tendency oh, really? to do that. There's a lot of different herbs that are known for their dream. And I, for a while, I actually, I created a, back when I was doing a lot more herbalism, I actually created a, a dreams tea. Tincture? Oh, tincture. A tea in particular that, that you could just take that relaxed everything and also promoted dreams. So those are all things. But what are dreams? What are dreams? What are dreams? I think they're different things for different people. Well, for me, the, the meaning and the significance is different for different people. But what are they actually like? What what would what, what has been your explanation that you've heard over the years, or what's your belief now that what dreams are in terms of like what's the mechanism that's actually happening? I can tell you what I believe dreams to be. Mm-hmm. I did a lucid dreaming class, and in the lucid dreaming class, you meet your dream guide, and and you meet them, and then you go to sleep, and then you meet them in your dreams. And my dream guide showed me what dreams were, and it was so cool. He showed me a Candyland, like the Candyland board game. Kind of looks kind of like a, a juvenile version of chess, you could say, for anyone not familiar with Candyland. And so on one side of the board game was Candyland and like all little pawns, all little, all little caricatures that play on the board. And then we dropped right through it. We were upside down. And on the opposite side of the Candyland board was an exact opposite board, the reflection of the same board, but it was on the opposite side yeah, underneath. The upside down. it was an upside down board yeah. complete reflection and on the upside down form the figures were floating and they were defying gravity and so he was showing me in this dream that the dream world is an exact flip parallel of the waking world only there the laws of physics and certain like laws of relativity don't apply but it's the same exact place yep yep that's i mean my dream world is my world it's just things are more symbolic and they don't necessarily follow the same laws of like time and space and, and this and that, but like, it's still my world. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, doing research, 
um, one of the things I always joke about is that like some people call it brain off gassing. It's like, oh, your brain just has to process the things that it couldn't why? process during the why do we, Why do we go to bed? Why do we go unconscious for seven, eight hours every night around the world? Yes. Yeah. Just for our brains to off gas? Sure. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's, that's my, that's my same view. And then the other things is that it's, it's, it's the conscious being made subconscious and then you're just being allowed to observe it. That's what some people believe that is. Right. So like basically as you move your conscious experience, whether that's watching a TV show or whether that's whatever, and you're, you're kind of, as it's getting filed, it, that file system is, is being, is, is, exists in the subconscious. And so you're just being a party to, you're observing the conscious, the, the transition from conscious to subconscious in terms of memories and things like that. It's like that. that movie Inside Out where they're like getting the bowling balls. And That's just... right. And all the core memories and all mm. the different things yeah. like that. Like, you know, there's a lot of different explanations, but I, to me, it's exactly the same thing of what you're saying. Like as a kid growing up, the books that I loved were always the books that had dream worlds that have dream worlds that were exactly the same as our world. And I was like, and I always knew I was like, this isn't fiction. This is total reality. Like this is the way that it is. And it doesn't make any sense for us. Like you said, it does not make any sense for us to go unconscious for eight hours a day just to physically rejuvenate our bodies. Like there's gotta be something else going on. You could say it's to mentally rejuvenate, or you could say, that dreams are actually our ability to experience resistless life, mm-hmm. right? To remind us of what it's like to be without resistance, right? And because that's what the dream state is. Like you said, it's like, it's a, it's like the upside down, but the laws of physics are different because they don't, you're not operating in the same level of resistance. You don't have like, you know, the table here. It's not as ephemeral. It can change. And it can quickly change because your your ability to manifest is infinite when you're in this in this plane of consciousness as opposed to in this physical mundane plane. So what I've often found when I've worked with people is that as soon as they start to come into a period of awakening in their life is when they're going to be experiencing more significant dreams, mm-hmm. right? They're going to be periods of heightened emotion during transitions when you have more re- restless nights or when you're more well-rested or when you're well-rested. And, you know, it's obviously going during rapid eye movement periods, right? So the lighter phases of sleep, which is REM sleep, and that is indicative of an alpha state, which is what we talked about in the hypnosis. So these are the different time periods, either the physical state that you're going to be in and the different phases of life. You may have more significant dreams or you may have more recurring dreams, things like that. So types of dreams. There are so many different types of dreams, but I like to kind of say that there are a couple of main ones that you can usually categorize your dreams if you're having them into. Some are dreams that have repeating themes and stories, mm-hmm. right? So repeating things like a lesson that you need to learn and you Oh, I have a having, house I go to. Right? Is it, is it, okay, is the house your childhood house or is it a, is it a totally different house? It's, no, but it's a, it's a, it's a house that I go to in my dreams and I constantly go to that house and every time I dream of it, I walk in the house and this is the first thing I say in the dream or think, oh my God, this is the house from my dream. It really exists. <laughs> it always takes you a second to like get to that other thing. Yeah. Right? Like I, I constantly go to this dream, this, the same home and I'm like, but, but like I've dreamt of this home, like. In my 42 years of life, I've dreamt of that home maybe 50, 60 times, actually. And I've never actually been there in real life. But every time I go there, I'm like, this is the house for my dream. And it really exists. Yeah. Yeah. And it's... it's and it's a, it's a haunted house, by the way. Yeah. It's not necessi- It's not a good dream. The dream 
as I became more of a lucid dreamer, the dream has changed where the woman in the dream that is haunting me in this house, I now end up being the victor in our little feuds. Yeah. Well, I mean, but that's the thing is that normally the reason that we have these repeating dreams is because it is a lesson. It's something here that's like, Hey, we're just going to keep reminding you. You know what? I wonder if I've like abolished that ghost thing because, and I think the last couple of times I was there, I finally to this ghost lady, I'm like, no, you're not going to fucking haunt me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I had a friend who she had a chasing dream. Like she was always being chased by something and she couldn't see it. And when she told me about this, I was like, I'm pretty sure that that's your anxiety. That, that, that expression, like your anxiety and, and it, the fact that it was constantly plaguing you throughout so many things was represented by that dream. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it kept happening all the time was saying, you still need this. Like you still need to look at this. This is something that is still in your, in your experience and let's do some work, right? Like let's do some work because the dream was giving her access to recognize or giving her or expanding her awareness of this, but she still wasn't processing it either in her waking life or in her dream. She was just constantly being reminded that it was still there. Mm-hmm. For me, I have multiple different places that I dream. Like I know that when I dream of my childhood home, and this is common with people, is that when you dream of your childhood home, the one that was the most significant to you, it usually means it is a very significant dream. Right. It means that it is something that is a life lesson that you need to learn. It's something that is really, and it could, or it could be something that is like very, very much so a belief or conditioning that is affecting your current day because it has to do with a childhood home. I also have dreams of Sydney. So I lived in Sydney for two and a half years in high school and Sydney, Australia was like me living my best life. It was like when I finally got out of Atlanta and got out of like the school that I had gone to for so long. And like, I just could become a totally different person. And I just like blossomed into this totally new person. So I know that whenever I have dreams of Sydney, because it's a recurring place and theme that I see that I am able, that means that my, my wild woman really is looking for fun is like Mm. looking for living her best life. Like it's like, Hey, okay. Things have gotten a little bit too, hum-ha every day like let's stir this up a little bit let's see what we can do and I'll keep having the dream until I satiate that need right and so you know that's a common thing that I like to say is that if you have that recurring dream ask what it means how do you feel when you're having that dream Mm -hmm. right do you what does that place represent to you in your conscious waking memory like what is that actually you know what are the things that you're you know is it is there haunting is there things like that one of the things that people say about hauntings is that normally if you're dreaming that something is haunted, then that's normally indicative that you have a spiritual entity attachment, Mm -hmm. right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Other kinds of dreams that you can have is, you know, if you ever watched like Game of Thrones and then you have dreams about dragons, like that's obviously a common thing, but what you'll find is that sometimes that's just nothing. Maybe that, maybe that's just um, the last thing you read before bed or exactly. So it's just top of mind, but what the mind will do is it will, is, is what the mind will do is that it will take those symbols and it will use them, right? Because it's like, Hey, this is top of your mind. You're interested in your conscious life about this. Let's see if we can make a symbol out of a dragon or let's see if we can actually change the characters around in this lesson that we were going to teach you and just use what you just saw because you're going to remember it better because it was in your conscious waking life recently. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be easier for you to remember this when you wake up. 
Okay, so we just talked about the places of dreams. What category of dream would you put that in? Processing dreams? Yes. So I would say there are a number of different categories of the types of dreams that we're talking about. So when you have a dream that has a common repeating theme, that is often a dream that is trying to bring your awareness and give you access to something. Okay. Okay. Got right? it. So that's, that's, you know, so using the, the, what we talked so about like with the ghost story work. was trying to show me that I had a, a ghost on me or maybe anxiety or something on me that I needed to deal with. Exactly. Okay. Basically, if you want to use the structure that we've talked about in the past, which is access, awareness, and processing being the three stages of shadow work, right? The repetitive dreams are the access. They're trying to show you, look, look over here. Okay. That's exactly it. They're trying to show you a door that you need to walk through right now. Okay. Right? Some of the dreams are just processing dreams, right? In which you are don't have to do the work in your conscious life. You don't have to do the work and and things like that. And there are a number of different ways that you can get into processing dreams, whether it's through lucid dreaming, right? Which is a technique, more so a technique of what we're talking about, or it's just happening in your subconscious and you don't even remember it, right? It's like many people have had a situation where they're just like, I just need to sleep on it, right? I need to sleep on it because your brain needs to process it and be okay with the change. It needs to make whatever it is familiar. Right. Like when your phone doesn't work, what do you just do? You turn it off and then you turn it back on again. Yeah. And that's exactly what that is, right? So you're being given access to to process and problem solve and process something that's happened throughout the day. I won't say, okay. You're being given access to process in a different, something that's happened during the day so that by the time it gets to be in the morning, you're like, this has become familiar to me. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. When you have things like multidimensional dreams, that is an example of a awareness dream, right? So the reason I say that it's an awareness dream is because what we, ha- what we experience in our current dimension of, t- of time is we experience things as we expect them to be, right? But at the same time, we live in a multiverse and there's all these different other dimensions in which things are going on. And sometimes it's highly beneficial for us to see variations or even very far variations of what our current life could be like because it helps gain our awareness of a pattern that we may have that may not be as prominent in this life. And I'll give you an example of this. So I had a dream when I first had a baby, I had a dream about being a drug addict with my husband and our daughter fell out the window. It was exceptionally disturbing. And I'm sorry, I probably should give a trigger warning. Trigger warning. I had a dream in which my daughter, my husband, I had a dream in which my husband and I were drug addicts and we left the window open and our daughter fell out and died. Same daughter, same husband, same me. And I was noticing, I was given awareness of this dimension that this was actually happening because of the fact that I needed to recognize that the feelings that I had of terror for my daughter in general were, were bleeding from these other dimensions into this dimension, right? And so when I was able to see that, I was able to recognize it and kind of shut it off so that it wasn't having the same influence in my daily life because it was causing me so much anxiety in my current body. But being able to have awareness of that other dimension, I was like, oh shit, okay, that's not gonna happen in this dimension. That is a fodder dimension, as like I call, like it's a very far, it's very far away from this dimension. dimension. It's Mm -hmm. an unlikely dimension and therefore, I'm going to have this experience of, I have awareness of this now, and now I can do things to block off that stream of anxiety and that grief associated with that dimension so it doesn't affect my waking life here. Mm -hmm. 
Then there are also prophetic dreams. Oh, I love those. Do you have any prophetic dream stories? Oh, yeah. You mean that will prophesize the future or the present? Well, it's both. Okay, well, I had one last night. Yeah. So last night I had a dream. Um, A dear relative of mine has been pregnant for a while. And in my dream, she was pregnant and climbing up a mountain and working really hard. And in the dream, I was like, you've got this, you've got this, you can do it, you can do it. And I felt like I was her support system getting her up this mountain. And there was no baby in the dream, but I woke up being like, I have like an eight for eight run of dreaming of the person who gives birth. So I texted my whole family. I said, you know, I dreamt of so-and-so last night. I think she's going to have her baby today. And sure enough, the baby had been born a couple hours after I woke up. So I really think that I was there with her supporting her and that my dream was prophesizing the baby being born. And that happened with another relative. I mean, it just keeps happening. I mean, other prophetic dreams like my sister, for example, when we were children, my dad got a phone call and he had to take it in the other room and my sister just starts crying and, the, and I said, what happened? What happened? And she goes, I know what happened. I had a dream last night that my mother, who's dead, visited my sister in the dream and said, I'm really lonely and I want to be with someone. I know maybe Aunt Gail will come. And so my sister believed that the dream was telling her Aunt Gail was going to die. And that day my dad got a phone call saying Aunt Gail had died. There's a lot of women in my family that like dream about either birth or death and it happens. Wow. Wow. Anyways. Other other prophetic dreams just before September 11th, which is actually tomorrow when we are recording this, but just before September 11th, a number, I want to say on the level of thousands of people reported dreaming about the events days or weeks before it happened. Okay. Before the COVID pandemic, I had a dream about a pandemic. I had the, the dream in like October, November of 2018. And I called our teacher to tell him. And he said about 20 other of my students have called with this same dream. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I had a 9-11 dream in which I was in a plane that hit a building. Before about 9-11? Six, it's about six months before it happened. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, what is the purpose of prophetic dreams in terms of shadow work? I think it's getting you ready. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's a good prep. It serves to help. I mean, really it gives, it gets us, it gets things familiar that are very, very unfamiliar and maybe very jarring if we aren't prepared for them. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and my guess when I test like when I muscle test and kind of say, is this actually happening? Is that almost everybody is being given these dreams? It's just some people remember them, right? Is that, right. you know, especially if there's going to be something that has a global effect. Yeah. Well, that dream actually served me well because while I did have some anxiety in the pandemic, for the most part, I didn't. Because in the dream, I saw a future version of myself talking about the pandemic in the past tense. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like I knew that I was going to get on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And I remember, I remember that I had a multidimensional dream during the pandemic actually. And it was a dream about at, at, at the height of the beginning of the pandemic, I used to get anxiety from people not wearing masks in dreams. Like I used to, when I used to watch TV, I used to get anxiety about it. Like seeing it old TV. Pre- yeah. It was like film pre pandemic. Right. And I was like, Oh my God, they're not wearing masks. And, and I mean, it's amazing how quickly Right. We create the taboos and the, and the things like that in our own minds. But like, 
I remember I had a dream um, about a, a sister dimension that was very close to ours in which they had actually come up with some radical vaccine that had, or they had somehow eradicated it within the first five months. And they were all taking off their masks and hugging one another. And I remember being like, it was so nice to be a party of that. Like it felt like a relief to be in that dimension for even just a short period of time that it made it so that I could come back into this one and be okay. Mm -hmm. Right. So the last type of dream is one that is problem solving is to help you problem solve. Right. And, and the reason that I kind of distinguish, distinguish this as something that's giving you access or something that's giving you awareness is that, you know, sometimes we can process completely subconsciously and we don't remember it. Sometimes we can process and we can be aware of it and we're observing it as it's happening in our dreams. And then other times we have to use our body and our current circumstances in our waking lives to solve a problem. Okay. Oftentimes people will, you can, you can go to sleep and you can say, I need to solve this problem. And they will wake up with the feeling and they will wake up with the understanding of whatever it is that needs to happen. Right. Whether that's like I said earlier, and it's like, okay, I'm now okay with whatever it is because I've already processed it or I have the answer and now I can do it, right? Right. Like many times I'll go to bed and I'll be like, Archangel Michael, I really don't understand this concept you're trying to teach me or I really don't understand X, Y, and Z. Please show me in a dream what you mean. And then oftentimes I'll get like a really good vivid dream kind of explaining whatever theory or or teaching he was trying to give me that I just couldn't get in the waking hours. Yep, exactly. And for me, being a writer of fiction, when I was writing my fiction book, a lot, I would feel, if ever I started to feel uninspired, I would be given another story. Like I would be given another chapter. I would be given something that made sense. And the vast majority of of the fiction that I was writing was entirely based off of dreams that I had had. I have a great example of a problem-solving dream. Mm -hmm. Did you know that the sewing machine was invented because of a problem-solving dream? I did not know that. Yeah, so actually the inventor of the sewing machine his name was Elias Howe, and he was working really hard on trying to create a sewing machine. I think it was to either save his mother or his wife a lot of work, and he was working really hard on making this sewing machine, and he just could not figure it out. So one night, he had a violent murder nightmare. This is back in 1845. He dreamt that he was captured by cannibals, and he had to invent a sewing machine, and he didn't do it. So they were going to kill him. And when they killed him, they stabbed him repeatedly with spears that had a hole in the tip of the spear. When he woke up, he realized that the dream was showing him that to make the sewing machine work the way he was trying to, he needed to move the hole at the tip of the needle versus like higher up where typically needles have holes. And he did that and the sewing machine worked. And there are so many examples of inventions that were inspired by dreams. Google. The man Larry Page, apparently, he had a dream that led to Google. The DNA, James Watson saw a spiral staircase in a dream in 1953, and that helped him come up with the double helix. Einstein's theory of relativity came to him in a dream. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. The periodic table was discovered in a dream by Dmitri Mendeleev. The structure of an atom by Niels Bohr came to him in a dream. There's the song Yesterday which is by the Beatles and Paul McCartney heard the song in his dream and and he must have heard it somewhere else. So it must exist somewhere else. And he hunted and hunted for this song and he never found it. So he's like, Oh, I came up with this song. And that song yesterday is considered a miracle in music theory because it changes chords 
mid song like when he says yesterday like that word yesterday it goes from one chord to another chord in the middle of the word and that like apparently has never happened or rarely happens but the point being dreams can help you solve problems mm-hmm. if you remember them and you know what to kind of question to kind of ask before you go to bed yeah and I think let it be as well so when oh, I find myself in, in times of trouble mother Mary comes to me mother Mary yeah came to him in the dream the night before he wrote that oh really yeah his mother did his whose name was Mary Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just so many wonderful examples of, of, of dreams solving problems. Yeah, exactly. And, and also giving you clues as well, right? So the problem solving dreams may be something in which you're actually seeing the solution, or it may just be something that gives you a clue so that you can get to the next step. I, I have two examples of dreams that actually were messages. I believe also dreams can be messages. Absolutely. Yep. Where I don't know where that would fall in your category, but awareness maybe. I think it's I think it's just great gathering awareness or giving you access yeah. to a different insight because I think that insight and we've talked about this before but insight and access are very much aligned because sometimes access comes in the form of insight and a message is an insight right so this actually happened a friend of mine's mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer ended up dying like right away and the day before after she died I actually saw her ghost and and then that night I had a dream of her and in the dream she told me she says I have three daughters and I know my death was sudden, but I want you to tell them that I, because of my Buddhist faith, I embraced aging and death with grace and tell them that this dream is true and that they can trust you because I will always show up as a grasshopper when they see a grasshopper mm. to think of me. And so I told my friend this dream and I was like, oh, your mom just died and it might be totally out of place for me to tell you, but your mom told me to tell you that she's okay she told me in a dream to tell you that she's okay and the way that you can know is she will send grasshoppers. And my friend was like, okay, that's really weird because the night that she died, the hearse came to pick her up from hospice and apparently there was a grasshopper trapped in the window pane in the winter, which is just like... Anyway, so that to me was a, a message dream. Like, And she told me in the dream, she's like, I'm coming to you because my daughters aren't hearing my dream and I don't think they're receptive to it. So please just get this message to my daughter. Yeah. And she'll tell the sisters, hopefully. No, and that's... And I don't know if she's hearing this podcast, I don't know what she thinks, but that really, that was my experience. Yeah, and that's and that's the... And, and yes, I think, I think of messages as... We could probably give it its own category in the sense, in the sense that like... Messages can either be actually spoken messages or they can be symbolic messages as well, right? So I remember when I was going through, I was going through a period of a lot of growth and I had a dream that I was in a karate dojo and I was going around the karate dojo and I was, I was supposed to be fighting someone, but I was actually bent at the waist and bent backwards so that I would never hit you. They were, they could never hit me. And I knew when I saw that, that that is how I was living my entire life, that I was always trying to live outside of arm's reach, of life's reach, right? That, that you know, the experience of not even being within the punching range of anything that could go wrong meant that I had, that in some ways I had completely retreated. And avoided conflict altogether. And avoided conflict altogether as opposed to just being like, actually, I can take my, I can take my hits and I can give the hits and that's how I really need to live my life. Right. Right. And that was a message that was given to me symbolically, but I woke up and I knew exactly 
what it was saying to me. And it was like, holy fucking hell. Like, oh my God, am I really living my life like that? And it was, it was, it was, it was a moment. It was a quantum leap moment in my life when I woke up from that symbolic messaging dream. Yeah. I had my first message dream when I was about 12 or 13 years old and it shook me to the core. I was so fucking scared. I was like freaking the fuck out the next day in the dream. I was in a cafe and suddenly this pig man showed up and he was with an elephant man, which is very interesting because I knew nothing about Hinduism at the time. Nothing, absolutely nothing. And I later found out that the man in the dream that was the elephant is actually Ganesh. Like I later on saw an image of the Hindu God Ganesh. And I was like, who's this? Who's this? He came to my dream when I was a child. Like, who is this? And I found out that he is actually considered um, a guardian and a a messenger and a remover of obstacles. Right. And he, Mm -hmm. and, and I was, and he was in the dream later on. I told our shaman Robbie about the dream. And I told her that, you know, I was visited by this, pig man who came with an elephant man and she was like it's very important Anna did the elephant man who spoke to you the pig man or the elephant man and I was like the pig man she goes that makes complete sense because Ganesh will usually come as like a guardian or a protector but he's not actually the messenger so like my dream was like perfect but I didn't even know that I was just a kid but in the dream it was such a strong message. They came to me in the cafe and I'm looking around. It's like no one else is noticing that there's a half pig, half elephant man talking to me. And the pig man's like, we have been trying to reach you, Anna, a lot. But guess what? In your waking hours, you do not lessen. And so we have to come to you and talk to you in your dream. And you better remember this dream because we have been trying to reach you and you just don't listen. And and here in your dreamland, you know, you're going to, you let your guard down. So we're finally able to talk to you. Yeah. And I was just like freaking out. And I'm like, cause it didn't feel like a dream at all. And I was like, what, what's the message? And you know, he told me some stuff and it freaked me the fuck out. But, <laughs> but the point being is that was a very profound, it was, it was a profound message, profound right? It was an insight. Dream. It was in, well, it was a profound message, but I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. They came a little, I was a little too young or maybe it was, it was probably the perfect timing. Right. But right. Because I mean, me. yeah, well, cause ultimately when we come down to it, like, things happen in dreams that cannot happen in the waking world, right? Because it's a consciousness based reality. And as reality. they said, we, we block so much in the conscious world that we're, we're closed off in a lot of ways. Exactly, exactly. We're, we're blocked off, you know, in the dream world, we're resistless, where we don't have as many guards up, we don't have as many different things like that. And so that's why dreams are such a gateway because you can experience things in dreams that your conscious waking self may never accept. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, and, and that may just be the way that you always get communicated to, because you're not, you're not willing to open up and let your defenses down in the conscious world in order to let those messages in, but they're going to come to you either way. Right. Right. And for people listening who aren't like pros at remembering their dreams, one thing that the lucid dreaming, one of the things that the coach from the lucid dreaming course I took said was to keep a dream journal next to your bed. And as soon as you you wake up, write them down. Oh, you're going to talk about that. Yes. Sorry. No, no, no. You totally just transitioned into where we're going. So we've told you about the different types of dreams. We've told you about where the dreams have come from, but here are some really great ways for how to remember your dreams, right? And this is, and and I'm going to ask you, Anna, to describe lucid dreaming here in a second, because that's like obviously next level super dreaming, but there are some ways to remember your regular dreams. One thing that you can do is you can set an intention the night before to remember your dreams. For years, what I said every single night before I went to bed was, 
I would like to have full conscious waking up, full conscious recollection of all of my dreams and wake up feeling refreshed. And those two parts were very important for me in particular because I wanted to remember it, but I also knew that my body needed to sleep. So I, by setting that intention, I was setting that intention to say that I was actually going to still wake up refreshed. Do you have anything that you say before bed or is that going to be part of the whole lucid? Oh, I just ask, I don't, <laughs> I don't ask to remember them because I, I don't have trouble remembering them. Mm-hmm. I just usually, if I have an intent, a question, I'll just like ask for, I'll just say like, Hey, I have this question. Can my higher consciousness or Archangel Michael give me the answer in my sleep? Yeah. And I don't actually have trouble remembering them either. I just remember significantly more when I remember to set that intention. Right, right, right. Yeah. In the Silva mind control class, they give a great one. They say, you know, you go into alpha and then you imagine a six screen six feet away from you and you tilt your head up about 20 degrees. So kind of like if you imagine that you're like on the second or third row of a movie theater you tilt your chin up that high to look up at a, at a screen as big as possible, six feet away, and you imagine whatever the problem is, and then you wrap it up and send it up to God. So either you fold the dream in, or you fold the problem into an airplane, or like I like to make, like you know, in a bank teller, you wrap it up and stick it in that little vault, and you press a button and it goes, shoop, and yep. it goes up. So that's what I do. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can do any way, or pretend it's an email and you're sending it up to God, or whatever, whoever you believe is higher than you, or maybe you're just sending up to your higher consciousness, but you fold up. The, the problem you wrap you visualize the problem as best as possible and then you say I want the solution and then you just boop, send it up to God and then you go straight to sleep because what happens is is in your sleep you're going to go into the theta state or delta where the problem will then get resolved and then they say that the silver mind control class says that your the problem will then be resolved in your sleep and you'll see the answer the next day or you might just have a dream that helps resolve that problem yeah, yeah. That's another technique you could use. No, and that's wonderful. So like Anna said, you keep a pen and a paper. One of the things that I think is really, really useful, especially if you're not going to disturb anybody, is to actually keep a recorder or your phone on voice memo. Because this is one of the things that happens when you when your dreams happen very much so if you in in a different part of the brain than where the language center is right especially the writing center like you're having to do a ton of processing when you turn a dream oh into paper onto paper right and so that's a lot of the reason why if you if you ever have a dream journal and you're writing something down and then you go back later and you try and read it you're like what the fuck is this like it doesn't even yeah, make it's any all sense scribbles. it scribbles or it doesn't make any sense it's because your brain is having to do a ton of processing and turn something that is completely not in that sphere and pull it into a totally different sphere so talking okay is a way in which you can do it in a better way an even better way would be to do symbols and things like that like same like basically use the keywords right because a lot of the time the keywords like like if i if i have a dream about a tsunami and there's sharks and turtles which is this is a dream that i've actually had like i can just say i can write down tsunami sharks turtles the feeling that I have, like, you know, it's just the little snippets, little icons, and it will bring you back. Mm-hmm. If you meditate or do something later, it will bring you back to the dream. And then you're not having to make cohesive sentences and then lose it. Because if you honestly, if you put a lot of effort into making a cohesive sentence about the beginning of the dream, you may not remember enough at the, by about the end of the dream and how significant you felt when you just woke up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes what you can also do is you can do it backwards, Right. Like start the dream backwards. Don't try and make it a story that has a beginning, middle, and end 
start with the end because that is why you're waking up and actually having that dream. You probably woke up maybe because, you know, especially if it's a, not a normal time you wake up, you woke up because the feeling it gave you at the end of the dream. Maybe you now hate your neighbor and you never had any feelings about them before. Now you do, you start with the end of the dream and then you can come back and you can go back and back and back. And then you can kind of like that because dreams are not linear. Mm -hmm. They are, they go in every direction, which is why they're so hard to describe. So if you're going to try and put some structure to them, you're going to lose the essence of the dream. And, you know, you can get good at it. You might be able to do a beginning, middle of it. You may be able to write full sentences, but if you write when you're waking up, use a tape recorder, use a recorder on your phone, or try just to do those simple words, just to do the simple words that you can remember it so that when you're, you're awake, you're going to have those, those prompts that are going to be able to do that. Then that's going to be better. The other thing you can do is that the muscle memory associated with the place in which you woke up, the, the actual position of your body when you wake up is going to help you remember the dream. So before you physically move, get back in that position, get in the, yeah, either don't move the position or get in the position and remember the dream in the exact position you woke up. Oh, interesting. And you're going to be much more likely to remember it. It's yeah. And then, and then, and then the last one is just don't grasp at it. Like the more you try and grasp it, the more you try let it and come like, to you. Yeah. If I don't remember a dream, I just say, okay, don't worry, go have breakfast, go on your walk and it's going to come back. And it does. Yeah, absolutely. So Anna, can you tell us a little bit about lucid dreaming? Yeah, lucid dreaming is basically being aware that you're dreaming while you're dreaming, Mm -hmm. and then you get to control everything, and it's so fun. You've lucid dreamt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. So in the lucid dreaming course I took, it's going to be different for everyone, but the thing that made the biggest impact on me was to, first of all, you talk a lot about your dreams, you make a dream journal, you just kind of make it important. By just making it important, I feel like, you're having access right there. Mm-hmm. So for this class, what we ended up doing was finding a dream guide. And that really helped. My dream guide, his name is Baron, and he looks like Justin Trudeau. And my brother jokingly said, that's because he's like the most unassuming kind of guy. He's like the Jennifer Aniston of men. You know, he's just like like the guy next door kind of thing. So Justin Trudeau, a.k.a. Baron is my dream guide. And the way that I found him was she had us do like a meditation exercise or like a guided guided meditation guide, some sort of guided meditation. But essentially, she had us go to some place and have your dream guide meet you there. So in my case, I imagine a barn, like this little house on a prairie, like it kind of looks like Wyoming. It's just like really beautiful. And when I go into this house, there is a, t- a small little door in the wall and I imagine that I open the door and crawl through the hole and when I come out I'm on the opposite I'm on the like on a flip version of the house kind of like in the movie Coraline if you've seen Coraline Mm -hmm. so I'm like the house is flipped so I'm in another dimension like I imagine the door is a portal to another dimension but it's the same house just just in another place yep and then I go and I sit on the porch and I just wait and I ha- and then I'll see in the distance a figure approach and as he gets closer, it's my smiling, beautiful Justin Trudeau Baron dream guide. And then and then we usually just have a conversation and then I usually fall asleep. And then with his help, him being there, I have the understanding that if if I start my dream off with Baron, he's gonna unconsciously guide me through my dreams. And help me be, just have more vivid dreams or remember my dreams more. 
And I can't explain like how, but I just end up lucid dreaming more when I get in touch with my dream guide. I think I talk to him. Maybe when I, when, maybe when we're chit-chatting, I can just be like, hey, I want to have a lucid dream. I want to remember that I'm dreaming when I'm dreaming so that I can just then change the ending or whatever. Like there's no real science to it, but like somehow calling upon him and knowing that I have a partner over there it helps. And he's me. Like, you know, you know, Carl Jung, J-U-N-G, you know, he says like in a dream, everyone is just an aspect of you. Mm -hmm. I think with the exception of messenger dreams or prophecy dreams, that that's true. So like Baron is me. He's the inner part of me who knows how to dream and knows how to navigate the dream world and knows how to lucid dream. Like he is me. He's not separate from me, I don't think, Mm -hmm. but he's an aspect of me that I personified so that I feel like I can get in greater touch with that that lucid dreaming side yeah so I usually like if I really want a lucid dream I will do that I'll call on my my baron and then I tell him well hey I want to do x y or z and then I hold his hand and we go on a walk and then I let myself fall asleep that's awesome that's awesome I have I don't have a lucid dreaming guide but I do have a dream interpretation guide oh and her name is Penview and she's Faye And anytime that anyone tells me about their dreams, I'm always just like, hey, Penview, what does this mean? And she's like, it means this. Oh, yeah, same. Yeah. If I have a dream, I don't know what it means. I will go into that. I will go back to the cabin and, and, you know, go through the tunnel, sit on my steps and have him come to me. And I'll be like, hey, what does this mean? And he'll usually just tell me. Yeah. Yeah. Other ways that you can start to lose a dream. If you throughout the day when you're actually awake, you say to yourself, you repeat in your head or you repeat out loud am I dreaming? And you keep and you, and you, and you just kind of habituate, am I dreaming? And so you're constantly saying that in your head throughout the waking world. So what will happen is that it becomes a habit in your mind. So you ask yourself when you're over there. Yeah. So you ask yourself when you're over there and you're, then you're able to actually see other things are things that are indicators of actually being in a dream state. So if you are unsure, if you're in a dream state, get used to looking at clocks Get used to looking at text. And books, yeah. And books. Opening a book. If you find a, dr- a book in a dream and you open it, if it's scrambled, if it doesn't really make sense, mm-hmm. that's a good indicator you're dreaming. And then you can say, I'm dreaming. Yeah, I'm dreaming. And once you understand that you're dreaming, then you're able to reach that lucid state. And then, yeah. And then um, from there, it's just so fun. It's so much fun. Yeah. And, and I will admit, like, I'm going to be the first person to admit that when I first learned how to lucid dream when I was in my 20s I learned how to do it more and I didn't know what I was doing at the time but what I would do is as I was falling asleep I would imagine my hand I would imagine lifting up my hand but I wouldn't move a muscle right so it was almost like I was peeling some aspect of my hand away from my physical hand so like my astral body my dream body whatever you want to call it like off of my hand and if I concentrated on that enough, I was able to go into a lucid state because my mind was already in that state as I was falling asleep. But for years, I literally probably just had sex dreams in my lucid state. I was mm-hmm. like, hey, what can I, I do? I have flying dreams. As soon as I'm aware that I'm having a lucid dream, guess what I like always do? Yeah. I go fly. Yeah. Because I'm like, cool, I'm lucid dreaming and I'm going to have the power to fly because I just love to fly around. Yeah. So, so, you know, that's what it was like for years. And then I finally got that out of my system. And now when I lucid dream, I have other types of dreams. I go wherever I want to. A lot of the times I will go in processing. I will, I will either go and try and find access to something. If I'm struggling to, to realize what my lesson is, I will, you know, go and visit somebody I need to visit and get some insights or I will process something in my lucid dream. Like, you know, yeah. 
And anyone listening, we are going to have two different guided meditations in our shop at our website, thespiritualfix.com forward slash shop. Because we want you to have the resources to do this too. Like we don't just want to chit chat. Yeah. So we're, we are going to be having some meditations that are going to be helping you to going home as well as to help you find your dream guides. Mm-hmm. So as a last thing, I will give you guys just a couple of really quick tips about if you're trying to interpret your dreams and you're having trouble. You can go on those dream dictionaries on the internet and you know what? They're all going to say basically the same thing. I'm not going to lie. Like I, I've always been disappointed continually by dream interpretation things, even dream dictionaries that you get in books. But, you know, they could really work for some people. I have found myself that they don't really work. So, I do like them when they talk, when there's an animal. So that was what I was going to say. The oh. only thing that they're useful for is, Are the when, animals. is the understanding the sim- symbolism of animals. That okay, have cool. Because yeah, life. I don't look up dream, like what does it, this mean in a dream? I, I don't look them up because they're all just so silly, but animals either in waking world or dream world I love looking up the symbology or the history of like an animal symbol yeah exactly so what I would recommend that we both came to the same conclusion yeah we both came to the same conclusion that we have to do animals and sometimes I don't even look up dream dictionaries sometimes I actually look directly at native symbolism like I have a book on animal Mm -hmm. animal talk and like it, it, it I go straight to that first if they have it but other clues to interpret your dreams Look at the location. We mentioned that at the beginning. Where is this location and what have you historically felt like this? What animals are appearing in your dreams? What symbols are appearing in your dreams? So symbols could be, you know, not a, not like an actual drawn symbol, but like... Books. Yeah. Snakes. And then you got to ask yourself, what does it mean to me? Because books might mean something very different to someone who was, you know, pushed academically by their parents and stressed out versus someone who was illiterate and taught themselves to read. You know, like every, every symbol is going to have a different meaning for you. So you have to ask yourself, what is in the history of my life? What does this mean? Exactly. You also need to look at the, in the same way you need to look at the context of the dream. What's going on in your life right now? You're not going to get a dream about something that is completely irrelevant to you right now. You're going to get the dream that you need right now. And so it is at, look at the context of your life to be able to give the clues for interpreting your dreams. Look at the emotional connection. How do you feel when you wake up in the morning? Do you feel great? Do you feel terrible? Do you hate the person next door? How do you feel about that? Those are all indications of how you can interpret the dreams. And then who are the people who are showing up in it? Are they your childhood friends? If they're your childhood friends, there's a good chance that this is something that you, this is, you know, there's probably a soul aspect of you that's stuck at that age that needs to, that is wanting to grow up. Or maybe that was the time period in which you felt the most comfortable doing so-and-so. Look at the people who are in your dream. Look at the people and where they've populated at what point in your life. And it can be indicative of that. I always, I actually just joked, I was on, I was on a social media the other day and I was like, Hey, anybody tell me if you have a dream about me, because I cannot tell you how many times people are like, Random ass people who I haven't met in so long or I haven't seen in so long. So many people from work, so many people everywhere are always like, hey, you were in my dream last night. I was like, oh shit, cool. Okay, tell me what's going on because I can help with whatever it is, right? I know when I show up in someone's dream that I'm uniquely qualified to help them interpret the dream. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's a lot for dreams. But I wonder if we're in anyone's dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, drop us a DM if we're in your dream because we can help. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Sweet dreams. <laughs> Did you know that we have a website with things on it? You can go there, thisspiritualfix.com. Have a great day. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, 
done. Are you afraid of turning into a hungry ghost after you die? If you're anything like me, the thought of becoming one of the many wandering spirits left over on this plane of existence after you die may keep you awake at night. Fear not. The This Spiritual Fix podcast has your back when it comes to graceful transitions into the afterworld. We have put together a package on helping you develop your lucid dreaming techniques, which, according to historic spiritual texts, is one of the best known ways to transition safely, with no delays, into the collective unconscious afterworld. Visit our store on our website, thisspiritualfix.com forward slash shop to purchase our dream package. For a limited time only, you can also use Die Well as a code for 15% off. Results are guaranteed and you are welcome to send us an email from the afterworld if you have a less than satisfactory experience. Let me tell you all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.